Hello, Mountain. Glad you're here. Welcome. If, if you're a guest, man, really glad you're with us. Welcome to Mountain. My name's Ben. Uh, special shout out to our friends at the Edgewood campus. They're doing great stuff over there. And our Bel Air campus, I was there last weekend. They've got uh, this, the new digs at the Arena Club. It's going great. And uh, you've heard already, I know, about how God has opened the door for our fourth campus, Ann Abingdon. So that's big news. Pretty excited about that. You know... Statistically speaking, Mountain reaches a lot further than Hartford County. It's where this campus happens to be located. But you know what? Um, Statistically speaking, you might not know that Hartford County is the most unchurched county in the state of Maryland. There are about 185 to 190,000 people who don't have any meaningful relationship with Jesus. No ongoing connection to any church of any kind. That's why we're here. We're sent on mission to unleash love here, there, and everywhere. And one of the primary strategies we've come up with to do that is through this multi-site approach. And you know, if you've been around Mountain a while, in 2010, we launched a campus in Bel Air. That's the one that just moved to the Arena Club. In 2013, in Edgewood, now partnered with the Epicenter, a community center there. And now God's opened the door for Abingdon in addition to the Mountain Road campus. And basically the thinking behind multi-site is... You know what? Instead of just kind of hoping people find us and come to us, we're going to go to them. People who are far from God, but also maybe far enough away from one of our other campuses that they might not be a part of it if we didn't go to them. So that means taking everything that God is doing through Mountain so that we can experience the teaching, the worship, the welcome, the kids, uh, all of it, and introducing it so a new group of people in a new place can experience it. And that's really what it is, and we're really grateful uh, about that. And I'm happy to be able to announce um, the location, but I'm especially excited today because I get to kind of let it out of the bag about the leader. We've already announced the location today, the leader, the point leader. We call it the campus pastor who will make uh, the whole team kind of function together and lead this charge. I'm excited to announce to the Mountain family today that the, the campus pastor of our 2017 Abingdon launch will be Jared Fox, all right? So Jared's a great guy. Jared's been on our team since 2012, came as our high school pastor, and he and Sean Cole and a whole amazing staff and an incredible core of volunteers have made our student ministry at Mountain super strong. And, uh, and Jared's going to continue to be engaged and involved with high school ministry and student ministries. However, uh, he also just knows God is ready to lead him on a different challenge and uh, lead in a different way. And so we're excited um, about that possibility here with this. And when, every time I mention that Jared is going to be leading the, the charge, everyone who knows him, what kind of leader he is, and what kind of person just kind of says, oh, well, of course. You know, of course, makes so much sense. And so we're excited. I'm happy to be able to announce that to you today. And we just want to be able to, to welcome them, thank them in advance, and also start praying and encouraging them. So let's bring them out here, Jared and Sarah Fox and their two kids, uh, Isaac and Ella. So come on, guys. Let's give it up for the Foxes. All right. All right. Abingdon, here we come, huh? Yeah, for sure. Are you still, still going to do this? Yeah, I think so. Okay, yeah, good, yeah. good. We're All right, in. great. Hey, it's been quite a journey for us to arrive here, and I know that's been an important part of your own story, you and Sarah. Yeah, so it's, it has. It's been a journey, for sure. Um, I think it was about two years ago that we started processing, like, just felt this nudge, almost a calling to, to that maybe God was, was changing what was next for us, and, it, and something was different. We weren't sure what it was, but we knew that God was taking us someplace. 
And so we decided uh, we would follow along and walk through doors as they open and start doing some research of our own, getting educated on maybe how God would use us. And one of the things, church planning's in our past, in our history. It's something we've done before. And we thought, well, maybe, maybe that's what God's calling us to do, is to plant a church. And so we started doing some research. And we went and met with church planners in Annapolis at Revolution and down in Fed Hill and started talking to people. And we went to this church planning conference called Exponential. Uh, and Ben was there, and it was after one of the sessions one evening. He had kind of known this journey that we were on. And we were heading back to the hotel. There's this really nice park bench. And he said, hey, let's sit down and have a conversation. I was like, well, if you want to intrude on our little sit-down, that's fine. Uh, my wife and I are going to be here, and you can hang out too, I guess. Um, and he, he started just to ask us questions, right? Like, what are you processing? What are you thinking? What's going on? And, and we talked a little bit. And then one of the things Ben eventually said was, well, hey, may, maybe the next thing, maybe what you're feeling is, how to be the campus pastor of our next campus. And that was two years ago. Like, okay, maybe that's it. And we got excited about that. And we started talking about it and praying about it. And then kind of like silence for two years. And then all of a sudden, one day, we find out our next campus is going to be in Abingdon. And guess what? We live in Abingdon. <laughs> and, and we got excited about it. And we started praying and thinking. And finally, I was like, hey, Ben, if, if you'll have me, I'm in. And he's like, yeah, great. Let's do this. And since then, it's, it's been a fun and wild ride. Uh, one of the reasons <clears throat> I think I feel so excited about this uh, is because I, I've just said for a long time, like, I, I love student ministries, and I'm not quite done with student ministry yet, and this gives me the opportunity to keep my foot in the door of what's going on in our student ministry area, which I'm excited about, but that also means, like, one of the things we knew, I can't do both at 100%, and so we needed somebody to come in and help with our student ministry, somebody to lead side by side with me and to help continue pushing us forward. And so uh, we hired a guy. His name's Zach. His wife is Jen. This is their picture here. And he started this week. Uh, and we're really excited that he's here. And so all of my students in the room, make sure you're there tonight for Echo and Clyde. You're going to meet Zach. We're going to talk more about what this means for the ministry. Uh, but we're, man, we're pumped to have Zach here. He's a monster leader. Uh, he's going to be great to, to have on the team and help lead this thing. Uh, God's been good each step of the way. We're excited about what he's doing in student ministries. We're excited about what he's doing in our family and at this new campus. Yeah, I mean, personally, we're excited. Um, my kids every week ask, Mom, Dad, when are we going to the new campus? So they're thrilled. We're so excited to be just even more so invested in our community. Um, a couple years ago, we started a small group with our street. And so we're thrilled to be able to say, hey, this is where we're going to worship and, um, and worship where you live. And so we're thrilled about that. Yeah, I think, Are you I think excited? Ella... Yes. There we go. In case you couldn't tell, she's excited. Yeah, so a couple of things. This is important, right? If you live in or near Abingdon, we want you to join us. We're asking you to join us. Uh, there are thousands of people in Abingdon who don't know the Lord. And we're going to go and we're going to start helping them meet Jesus uh, through this new campus. She's excited. Uh, we're excited. We hope you'll join us. Maybe, maybe you live near the Bel Air campus or the Edgewood campus and you need to get plugged in and start serving at a high level there. There are a lot of opportunities to serve as we start this new thing and keep what we've been doing and doing so well going. Uh, so yeah, we're pumped. We're excited. Good awesome. stuff's on the way. We are too. Uh, town halls are this coming week, Monday and Friday night. 
we are going to need, um, honestly, for this to go in the way we've envisioned it, we're going to need hundreds and hundreds yeah. from Mountain Road Campus, especially, to go be part of this and yep. on the ground floor. And uh, that means we're also going to need lots of others who are already at Mountain Road to fill in those holes that, that you all leave when you go be part of this. It's a very mm -hmm. exciting time for us. So come to the town halls, check it out, yep. figure it out. That's this coming week. Let's just continue to show our support. You'll hear a lot more from these guys, but let's just give it up for the podcast. Thanks, Thanks guys. Yeah, appreciate appreciate you. Good luck. So, pretty exciting and good news. Now, uh, let's turn our attention to the matter at hand for today, um, which is uh, this truth that everybody matters. Uh, we're in week four of a series where we've been talking about these kinds of things. And I'd like to begin with this scripture, which I almost feel like is maybe God's prayer for us. Right out of the Bible, 3 John chapter 2, which says this, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health. And that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. I think we sort of expect the, the, the part about the soul to show up when we come to church. We expect God to say to us through the Bible things about our spirit, our soul. That sounds spiritual. Some of us aren't quite sure what to make of the fact that we're talking about bodies in church. Is it really spiritual enough? You know, I've gotten some feedback, and it's kind of fallen into two categories. A whole bunch of people are like, man, I'm so thankful you're talking about this, because I've known for a long time in my own life what a connection there is between my spiritual life and my physical world and my emotional world. I, I, it's so connected. Thanks for talking about it. But I've gotten some others who are like, you know, I don't know, this doesn't sound very spiritual. It doesn't sound like we should be spending time talking about things like this. Is it true that everybody matters? spiritually speaking. I mean, our mission is to make more and better disciples. Is this really fit in a conversation? Let me show you something. Uh, open your Bible, if you've got it, to, to 1 Kings chapter 18. It's in the Old Testament. We're going to talk about a guy named Elijah. Everybody say Elijah. Not Elisha. That's another dude in the Old Testament. This is Elijah, and he was a great prophet of God. And the portion of scripture we're looking at today is when he's on top of his game spiritually. It's one of the high water marks of his life. And what's going on is some uh, neighboring uh, people are challenging Israel and their God, Yahweh. With their God, we would call it a fa false God, the God of Baal. And Elijah is very strong, as I say spiritually. He's like filled up with the Spirit of God. And he just boldly stands all by himself against 400 prophets of this other God, Baal, and says, your God can't help you. Your God can't help you. You guys know good. And he kind of sets up this epic challenge up on the mountain, a standoff, if you will. He says, well, I'll go up on the mountain. You holler at your God, and I'll pray to my God, and we'll ask our God to bring fire. And whichever God brings fire will be the real God. Deal? And they're like, deal. They go up on the mountain, and those guys, they pray, they yell, they jump around, they cut themselves, they do everything they can to try to get their God, Baal, to bring fire down on the mountain, and nothing happens. A little reminder to us, that anytime you put your trust and your hope in anything or anyone other than the one true God, it or they will always let you down. Elijah just watches. And then he says, after talking some trash to them, are you done? And then he takes buckets of water, and drenches the whole altar till it's saturated with water. And then he says very humbly, God, do your thing. Show yourself if it's your will. 
And God brings fire down and torches that drenched altar. And it's a huge banner day, not just for God, but for Elijah. Can you imagine the spiritual high that he must have been on? And then he routes those, those 400 um, prophets, and it's just a huge, powerful moment. And if you're a Christ follower, you're a Christian person, you've probably had days that were kind of like that, where you were just on top of your game spiritually. You felt close to God. Your prayers seemed powerful. Your faith was real and he was close. Elijah, that's where he was, up on the mountaintop. But then he crashed hard and fast. So the text hints to us that he had given so much physically that he's exhausted from all this. And then emotionally, he's vulnerable. He can't even handle a little criticism from this woman. I mean, he's just stood up to 400 guys up on the mountain. But now this, this Queen Jezebel gets word that her priests of Baal had been eliminated and embarrassed. And Elijah panics and runs for his life. Look at 1 Kings 19, verses 3 and 4. Elijah was afraid. He's weak. And he ran for his life. When he came... To Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, and while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He's already exhausted. Now he's like straggling through the desert for another whole day. He finally collapsed. He comes to a broom bush, and he sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. That's a bad day. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. So here he is, spiritually empty, emotionally drained, physically depleted. I got nothing left. And let's be honest, we've all had days like that too. I have. And sometimes they're actually pretty close to the other days. But on these days, you feel drained and you don't feel on top of your game spiritually. Your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. And you got nothing left to give. You don't want to defend your faith. You don't want to even get up the strength to do maybe the right thing. You're depleted and empty. Notice what happens. Here's what I want to draw your attention to. Notice what happens when Elijah, the mighty prophet of God, is spiritually empty. What does he do? Verse 5. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Hmm. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. I see some of you don't need any more encouragement. You've already taken those words to heart. I appreciate that. <laughs> putting the sermon to work immediately. I love that. <laughs> After he catches some Z's, verse 6, God then sends an angel to his prophet, touches him, wakes him up. Get up and eat. Don't just sleep. Now you got to eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some baked bread. I know there's a lot of carbs, but it's, God gave it to him. Over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and he drank and he lay down again. God wants to restore his servant back to spiritual strength. What does he do? He sends him carry out and a Dasani. <laughs> Doesn't sound very spiritual, but I'm telling you, it is. It's the spiritual recovery plan of a servant of God. I don't care who you are. Verses 7 and 8, then the angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, get up and eat again, for the journey ahead of you is going to be a big one. So he got up and he ate and drank again, and strengthened by that food, then he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. He's back up on the mountain. He was on the mountain. He crashed. How did he get back? Same way you and I do, sleep, eat, rest, move. It's true in my life. It's true in yours. Friends, we've just got to be willing to understand the connection. If you want your soul to be strong, that it may go well with your soul, you've got to sometimes do the obvious and take care of your body and the rest of yourself. 
as well. You can't be on top of your game spiritually when you are depleted physically and emotionally. It's just we're, we're whole creatures. You can't, be, you can't be empty and drained in every other way of your life and expect to be full of the Spirit and full of joy and full of patience and full of kindness and full... You can't. It doesn't work that way. We're connected. 1 Corinthians six nineteen therefore, urges us by saying your body is a temple. Just like in the old days when the temple inhabited God, now it says... Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's God's presence, which is in you. So therefore, honor God with your body. Are you honoring God with your body? Here's what the Bible says then about bodies. We can pretty much summarize it this way. God made it. Jesus died for it. The Holy Spirit lives in it. I better take care of it. That's pretty much the summary of what the Bible says about the body. God made it. He created it, gave it to you to take care of. Jesus died for it, paid a great price for it, says it's worth a lot. And the Holy Spirit dwells in it, not just in your soul, in your body. And so we better take care of it. I know some of us still struggle with this, but trust me, it's all over the Bible. This is more than just mimicking shallow culture, which is so fascinated and obsessed with appearance. It has nothing to do with appearance. This is not about accepting people based on how fit they are. No, that's the culture stuff, the shallow, the fitness craze and all that. It's not what we're talking about. We are talking, though, about the fact that the physical aspect of who we are as people, as God created us to be, can't be ignored. Here's why. Because it impacts your life with God. It impacts your ability to serve and love God and worship God and give your life to God. There is a spiritual impact from all the rest of us as well. Sometimes the best thing you can do then to reset yourself spiritually is to reset yourself as much as you can physically. There are things beyond your control. Can't, always, can't do much about that. But the things that are, are in our control, we've got to realize there is a spiritual connection. I love what Gary Thomas says one time. I really relate to it. Maybe you do too. Here's what he said. He's just a middle-aged, soft around the middle guy like I am, but he likes to run. And here's what he said. When I get a little bit in shape and I finish a long run and I'm feeling pretty good, man, he says, the boost I receive is enormous. He says, I love God more. I love my wife and kids more. I'm dreaming bigger of how I can serve God and new ministries I can do for him. I'm more patient while I'm driving. I'm just better. I'm more energized. I'm focused. I'm more alive and living the abundant life in Christ. People may denounce physical exercise as worldly and not spiritual enough, but I have found that it has enormous spiritual benefit. And I just, I, I have found the same to be true in my life. Your body, here's why, here's why we're talking about this. Not because your body is an ornament, but because your body is an instrument. You know, the culture says an ornament. That's something you dangle around and show off to everybody. So they think, you know, look at, look at me. Or I'm valuable, look at my ornament. No, no, no. The reason we as God's people care about our bodies is because it's an instrument. It's a vessel through which we have one offering that we are able to give to God. One offering to God. So that's why we can't ignore it, and everybody matters. So we've talked a little bit in recent weeks about how, what, and how, and even why we eat can have spiritual implications. When, how well, and how we sleep 
can have spiritual implications. Last week we looked at what we think about and how we filter things out of our minds has huge spiritual implications. And today we're just focusing for a little bit on this idea of how God made us, the way he designed us on purpose was to move. That's how we're made, and we function best when we move. And uh, there's a certain design to the human person. I don't know if you saw this last week. President Trump had an oops. Um, He said that he doesn't prefer to exercise because he figures it's not good for you. Our bodies, he said, are like a non-rechargeable battery, and if you have a finite amount of energy in life, and if you waste it all on exercise, you won't have any energy left to do the things you really want to do. And I had to laugh, but then I realized that's kind of exactly how I and a lot of people think about it. Um, You know, it's like, how am I going to have time to do all these important things? I don't have time for exercise. But of course, all the research and data and everybody knows that the truth is exactly the opposite. All the studies show that exercise actually doesn't diminish or use up your energy. It replenishes it and expands it. Exercise, moving, stretching, using our bodies in ways that move them are good for us now this used to be easy for us our ancestors they hunted and gathered right they were out there they didn't no one had to tell them to exercise okay now we pretty much just run to the fridge or run to find the remote or whatever right we don't do we have to build in this kind of thing but the truth is as tom rath says people who exercise at least two days a week are happier and significantly less and and have significantly less stress how many of you think it'd be good if christian people were happier and had less stress Hmm, I think it'd be good. I think the Spirit of God could work even more fully through our lives if we were generally happier and had less stress. You know some of the research and all the data about moving our bodies somehow, some way. High levels of physical activity equates to nine years of biological aging advantage. Nine, you can take nine years off your life simply by exercising. Exercise decreases Risk of disease like diabetes, it improves our endurance, it makes our heart healthier, we feel more confident, we do better in social situations. One guy I read this week said that it improves brain function. He says, exercise is like miracle grow for the brain. I can use some of that. I can use that. A vigorous workout can reduce anxiety and depression symptoms for hours. It releases endorphins, which improve your mood, make you and everyone around you better. It it, it protects your brain function. It slows mental decline in our older years. It can literally make us younger at the cellular level. There's some great stuff about telomeres you can read. Also, uh, stuff I read this week reminded us that sitting is actually our new greatest enemy. It's the new smoking. Sitting up to even three or four hours every day is the equivalent to smoking a pack of cigarettes every day. So if you're like me, You kind of already know all this. We're inundated by a lot of it around us, right? We're like, yeah, 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 whatever. Great. Thanks for the guilt trip. uh, You know, it's what I wanted. It was the bad news. It's like kind of the bad news. Like this guy that goes to the doctor, right? He goes to the doctor and he says, and the doctor actually says, well, what fits your busy schedule better? Exercising an hour a day or being dead 24 hours a day? So it's like, oh, great. I know. I've heard the drill before. You know, exercise or die. I get it, right? And I know there's a few of us, very unusual and annoying types, who get up at five and you exercise for seven hours before you go to work and you look good in spandex and yada, yada, go you. Okay. <laughs> for the vast majority of the rest of us normal people, what we're talking about is difficult and we don't really enjoy it. If we did, we'd all do it. But almost none of us do. And the trouble is, we do feel like we don't have time. We do feel like it might use up our best energy. We do feel like we don't, you know, we don't like it or we've had past attempts and, we're, and we want it to be easy. 
That's one reason we don't do it. Like this guy here, he's going to the doctor, and the doctor has to say to him, no, I'm sorry, the handle of your recliner does not qualify as an exercise machine. So yeah, I think we all can relate to that. So as we talk about moving, what I want to do is I want to I share with you two things that are really important to me, and I hope they will be to you, about how moving your body and exercising and training and taking care of stretching, whatever you do to move your body, can be so important to you spiritually. I hope you'll see what I mean when I'm done. First thing is this. Physical exercise, any kind of discipline regimen or taking care of your body, paying attention to it and doing the things that benefit us physically, first of all, trains us for spiritual growth. It trains us because it turns out that all the things that we need to do to sort of help our bodies get better the discipline, the practice, the staying at it, all of that translates the same principles and practices to our spiritual life. Physical training trains us for spiritual growth. I love 1 Timothy 4.8, which puts it in perspective, reminds us physical training is of some value. Yeah, it's important. It's really important. Do it. But it says godliness has value for all things. It's way more important that you are spiritually fit. But notice how it draws them together. And you're going to learn principles from one to help the other. How about Hebrews 12? We all know this to be true. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. Am I right? We hate discipline. We hate hard things. It's painful. But we have come to realize, most of us, that later on there's a payoff right? It later produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You know how I learned that truth? Not by going to Sunday school. I learned it by getting my tail out of bed and going to football practice and joining a wrestling team that made me do things I didn't want to do. And I learned, man, it wasn't pleasant at the time, but boy, was I glad later. Those are the same truths I need to put into my life if I want to grow spiritually. Paul, the apostle, says in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 and 25, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? And he says, run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games, he's talking about the Olympic games, goes into strict training. And they do it just to get a crown that will not even last. But we do it, spiritually speaking, to get a crown that will last forever. It can train us in godliness, learn a lesson from the real world of physical things. My daughter, Ellie, is a senior in high school, and yesterday she ran um, in regionals, and their 4 by 100 team did so well, they placed, and they're going to states. Isn't that fun? Here's her team, and they're also going in the 4 by 400 And uh, one thing I love uh, about watching those meets uh, it, it's hard. It about kills me. But Ellie usually runs the fourth leg, which means she almost always rounds that final curve and comes right in front of the home crowd, right? And you can see the expression on her face as she comes by. She is grimacing. She's got this determined, strained, I'm going to eat this track alive and catch that person in front of me. Look, she's squeezing that baton. She's working so hard. And it's very, honestly, it's very moving as a parent because I know how hard she's worked. 
I know, uh, I know about the blisters and the ice baths and the shin splints and the long practices and up all night because you had to go to practice. And I get all that and I see it. And, I, and I'm just, she works so hard and the look of determination and the grimmest pain on her face. And I look at that. It makes me want to ask myself a question and ask you the same question. Does that describe how hard you're working on your life with God? Are you willing to put some work in on it? Are you willing to give a little effort to pursue God to run the race as if you're running for a prize? Or do you want it just to be easy and handed to you? I want you to grow in your faith, but you can't do that by just sitting around spiritually. I want to hand a baton to you and see you run the race and win it. But it's, it's Jesus says, Take up a cross and follow me. It's going to be heavier than a baton. It might be hard sometimes, but you can endure. You can put in some time, and yes, it won't be easy, but you'll be so glad you did. Friends, if we never experience that in our lives anywhere, we'll never experience it with Christ. But if we can learn that, that some of the best things in life come as a result of hanging in and enduring and persevering, you know what? We'll have a better chance of experiencing it spiritually. Run in such a way as to get the prize, y'all. You know, in the Bible, there's a word for endurance. It's the word hupomone. Hupomone. It literally means to remain under. To remain, to stay under something. We're always praying, God, get me out from under this weight. And sometimes he does. But sometimes he doesn't. And the reason is he wants you to learn to lift it. And he'll help you lift it. What happens if I lift this weight a few times, other than getting tired and sweaty? If I keep doing this, what's going to happen? I will get stronger. Now, it's heavy and it's hard, but I won't get stronger if I don't. James 1, verses 3 and 4 says this. You know that the testing of your faith, and some of you are being tested right now in your life, but here's the Bible's promise. It produces perseverance, hupomone. It produces an opportunity to stay under something and work it out. So let perseverance, let the workout finish its work. Don't try to get away from it all the time. Just know that. If you keep lifting and saying, God, help me, and you stay in there, it will help you grow up and become mature and stronger in your faith. And now you can lift more and you can do more and your life is richer and fuller. That happens not only physically in our lives, it happens spiritually. My friend, I I pray that you'll have hupomone, endurance and perseverance in your life. How hard are you willing to work on pursuing Christ-likeness and holiness? If If you've hit a wall spiritually, maybe the reason is you're just not working very hard at it. Jesus gives us grace, and we have a full, free life of salvation in him. But that doesn't mean we coast. It means now I've been given the baton. It's free. You can't earn your salvation. But now run the race with perseverance. There's training for our spiritual life that we can only learn in the physical realm. So that's why, like, having the strength to say no to a bag of chips or an extra dessert that I don't need that's not going to be that great for me is the same strength that I need to turn away from sin or other indulgences that will lead me away from God. It's the same. Having the strength to get out of bed and go for a run or a walk is the same strength that I need to help me stay in a daily routine of reading the Bible and praying. Saying no to my stomach pangs is the same ability to say no to other things that want mastery over me. Having the discipline to put exercise 
in my calendar, even though it doesn't feel like it's very important as these other things I've got to do, is the same discipline I, I have to say I need to pray today, even though it doesn't seem as important as the other things I have to do. Do you see the connection? They really are connected. So physical exercise and movement can train us, train us for spiritual growth. Here's the second thing I would say to you, is that anytime we pay attention to our bodies and try to do things to move and exercise and so forth, it's not just training for spiritual growth, it's the trail for spiritual growth. It's the very pathway itself that can help us grow in our faith. But only if you invite God into that part of your life. So I'm encouraging you to be intentional about how you move and exercise and make it a spiritual deal. Don't compartmentalize off exercise or your physical self as if it didn't have anything to do with the rest of your life. It does. So invite God into every nook and cranny of your life. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So if you're going to move, you're going to try to get exercise, you're going to try to help yourself be a better energetic person for God, do that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Invite him in. So let me just try to give you some things that are, these are kind of personal to me, honestly, but they're ways that you can combine motion with devotion. So motion with, of your body with devotion to your God. And I'm going to tell you right up front, a lot of these, some of you are just going to say they sound hokey to you. And I'll admit they sound hokey to, to me. I'll also tell you, just as humbly as I can and transparently, I'm not embarrassed about these things. These are Almost all of these are things I do because it's just one more humble way that I can say to God, I want to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. You come up with your own better list to combine motion with devotion, but you got to do it somehow if you're going to live a whole life as you, in the God in whom we live and move and have our being. So, I'll give you some examples. When you go for a walk, go for a walk with God. Talk with God and listen to God as you walk. And associate the two things in your mind so that every time you go out and walk the dog, you're walking not just with the dog, you're walking with your God. Or, if you're swimming laps, take your strokes um, in, with a worship song uh, in your head and Sing the cadence with your stroke. When death was arrested and my life began. Sing a slower song if you have to. <laughs> I stretch every day. I try to stretch. It's one thing that just I realize how important it is. My, I get just tight and irritable and yucky if I don't stretch. So I stretch in the shower. Sorry for that image. Anyway, I do. And um, now that my kids are getting out of the house, I have hot water. So I stretch this way. Oh, my goodness. I hate that. I stretch here. I stretch here. And then... Um, and then I, I have a stretch when I'm drying off. I actually try to, oh, here we go. Stick it up on the counter. I'm drying my toes, right? Doing this whole thing. Oh, I, I kind of hate stretching, but I just, I have a simple little prayer, short little one-sentence prayer I pray every day. It's just kind of part of what I do now when I'm stretching. It's like, oh, I hate stretching, God. I hate this. I hate getting older. But then I just pray, God, will you help stretch me today? I want to be flexible for, for you. I have my whole day mapped out. I don't have time for anything, but God, help me be flexible. And I pray that you'll stretch me and grow me in my faith. Stretch out a little bit. You know, we need to stretch our lower back and all the hammies, and you can go online and figure out all that stuff. You know, but I have a, this is dumb. I know it's hokey. Call me hokey. But when I stretch, I love to stretch down here. Some of you haven't touched your toes in a while. You should try it. But I love to reach down like this. And now look at me. I'm bowed low. And I just like to think of it as a bowing before God. It's just a humble posture. 
And I say to God, I must decrease and you must increase. Just a humble, call me hokey. You find a way to do something that moves your body that you invite God into and you make it real for you. If you're able to take the stairs instead of the escalator or the elevator, do it. And when you do, count the stairs in your head as you go up. One, two, three, four, five. And you get to the top, there's 24 stairs. And the next little way as you're walking, you name that many things to God that you're thankful for. God, I'm so thankful for my beautiful wife. God, I'm so thankful for my kids. I'm so thankful that I get to go on this trip. I'm so thankful when I get home, there'll be a dog and not a cat greeting me. Whatever you want to say, just thank God for it. Find a way. Bring God into it. Ever, ever have a moment where you just know, I need to take a deep breath? Uh, or you want to do a breathing exercise, it's good for you. you. Get oxygenated. But before, make it a prayer. Just breath prayers. Breathe in. Jesus, fill me. And then as you exhale, you just let all of your cares be cast on the Lord. I cast my cares on you, Lord. Breathe in. Jesus, fill me. Fill me. I cast my cares on you. Breathing in prayer. Earbuds can be a Christ follower's best friend. Why? Because when you're running or walking the dog, you're listening to sermons. You can listen to Christian podcasts. I know a guy who memorizes scripture on the treadmill. He just listens to him over and over and over again until he can say him along with it, and it's in his head and his heart. You can listen to the audio Bible while you're lifting weights. You can walk or train with a friend, and as you do, just have spiritual conversations. Talk about your faith and, and your family. You see? You can jump rope and listen to um, Christian radio. I know a lot of Christians who do uh, yoga exercises. In addition to being great for your core and flexibility, you can do it with a time of prayer to God. Christian meditation. Instead of emptying your mind and saying om, you're filling your mind and thinking of him. Okay? You don't have to, you don't have to. And I'll tell you one more. Some of you just need to dance more. You need to dance. That's the way you need to move because it needs to be fun. Now, please, close your blinds and don't post it. But you know what? Get a great album that lifts up the name of Jesus and is laced with scripture and praises God that moves your soul and moves your spirit and move your body with it. You just shake a leg for the Lord. You get down for the one on high. You, you, you move your body for the one who saved your soul. Whatever you need to do, but do it. I gave you permission. It's okay. So put your body in motion. Say that. Put your body in motion and do it with devotion. And that's what I'm telling you. You've got to figure out some way you can do it. And here's the thing. There is one exercise that is actually more helpful to you than any other exercise you can do. If you don't have much time, this is the one you should do. Do you know the exercise that will help your body more than any other? The one you'll actually do, that one. The one you will actually do is the one that's most helpful. So don't get a big grand list if you don't, you know, just pick something you can do. When we were kids, isn't it interesting? We called it play when we ran around and we loved every minute of it. Then we get old and we call it working out and we count every minute of it. Am I done yet? Find something that you'll do that you enjoy. Some of you can join Zumba at the epicenter. Some of you should not. <laughs> no. uh, frisbee, every Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock, and there's a thing coming up, a frisbee, ultimate Frisbee tournament, July 15th. Hop in. There's a mud mile run at the arena club. There's a 5K runner walk coming up. There's bike rides. There's some uh, line dancing going on. There's ballroom dancing. There's bike rides that are going on. Um, and I'm announcing for the first time today, summer or early fall of 2018, we're going to take a group to hike and climb up Mount Kilimanjaro to raise money for Missions of Hope International over in Kenya. Maybe you need to train for that. Here's the thing. Nelson Mandela spent 27 years in jail. Very respected leader. But he remembered his days as an amateur boxer and an avid runner. And in that little prison cell that was not much bigger than a queen-sized bed, 
In that suffocating little room, he did push-ups and stomach crunches every single day, and he kept himself fit. And he eventually graduated into a little bit larger room, had three other people in a very small little room, and he'd get up at 5 a.m. and annoy the fire out of them because he'd run around the corners of those tight little corners for an hour every morning. And when he finally was released at age 75, he was in tip-top shape. And that's when he led for five more years. And if Nelson Mandela can find a way to move and exercise so he's ready for the task given to him, so can I, so can you, so can we. Find a way to be the best steward you can of the one life, the one body, and the one mind that God gave you. Now, one way that we have thrown out there as just a practical challenge where the rubber hits the road. If you want to jump in, here's one way you can put a lot of this together. It's called the Whole Life Challenge. This is that online seven-week holistic thing. It's a game, and you get points for, you know, you drink your water, you do some stretching, you move a little bit, you eat better, you, you get enough sleep, you, you express gratitude, you journal. All these things are in this all online. There is a fee, and you'll see once you sign up why there's a fee. They provide so many services and a great help. And it's also something we're doing together at Mountain. Hundreds have already signed up. It's not too late. It started yesterday. So um, you can catch up. You can go all the way up to about the 31st before it's going to get hard to, to, to get in on it. And if you need help with scholarship, because I can't remember how much it is right now. It's like 20. I don't even know what it is. But um, write us at everybodymatters at mountaincc.org. We'll help you with a scholarship to make sure you can do this if you want to. Um, a lot of people have done it, are, are doing it now, and it's, it's going to help us maybe take a step we really want to take. Hey, let me just close by giving a confession to you. Um, when I watch Ellie run, I almost always cry. <laughs> almost every time she comes down, I'm just watching her, I'm leaning in. It just takes so much out of me. When she's done, I'm exhausted. <laughs> she comes to the finish line, I'm like, ah, I am so glad that's over. Go get me something to drink. <laughs> I give her a big hug, proud of her. My friend, one day you're going to cross the finish line of your life. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ and you keep your eye on him, your father will be there waiting on you. He'll be waiting on you. And we all want to be like Paul, who said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is a prize, a crown of righteousness for me that's given to me by our Father, the righteous judge. I want to see my Father, and you want to see your Father say, well done, welcome home. So that's a spiritual matter. You're standing with God. But don't forget that your body has a lot to do with it. You don't get to decide when you cross the finish line, but you do get to decide what your Father says when you get there. And you want to hear him say, well done. So give your life to Christ, and in the meantime, run the race with perseverance. Trust in his grace and then give everything you have to the Lord. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let me pray for you. God, we're so grateful for Jesus and how he gave not just his soul but his body to us on a cross. We pray that that will inspire us and encourage us to run our own race of faith spiritually, but then also just show us how integrated we are, how you didn't just put us in bodies, you made us as bodies. And we pray that you'll help us to live and run for you every day. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.